1: Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking Balogun Cometh, the 2026 World Cup logo, the future of VAR, the U.S. men's national team current best 11, USL Super League is arriving, singing in the rain, and much, much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how you doing on this uh, Thursday, May 18th, bright and early in the morning here in Los Angeles. And again, for those that uh, are just listening, Mossy is coming to us from the East Coast a few more days with his family and then he will be back to us. So he is on the road. Hey, my and how you doing?
2: Doing well. The trip is effectively over. I am going to tape this pod, grab some lunch, and then head to the airport. I will be flying back to Los Angeles later today. Did you do anything interesting? I know you wanted to see a show. Did that end up happening? It did. Tuesday night, we finally went to this Broadway show that I've been mentioning, *Leopoldstadt*. It was sensational. Very sad, but... Powerful, exceptionally well, well done. It's been nominated for six Tony Awards, including for Best Play, and I can see why. It was a terrific. Two thumbs up. Oh, my goodness.
1: Uh, all right. Let's see. Did uh, did you watch anything besides that that you want to mention?
2: No. The okay. only thing I've watched since I've been out here is Succession. I've fallen behind on shows like Lasso and Maisel. So when I get back to L.A., I'll have a TV-watching orgy to get caught up
1: in. <laughs> All right. Let's see what, uh, what I watch. I've been running around doing a lot of things, but I did manage to uh, one night... You know, I'm on this uh, nostalgia kick and, and watching old movies. So I watched a movie that I I thought I would have seen, uh, Singing in the Rain, which has become an all-time classic. It's on a lot of the lists of the greatest movies and certainly on all the lists of the greatest musicals ever uh, put down in the movies. It is, it is incredible. I'm not a big musical guy uh, and I'm not a big dancing type of guy, but my lord... Uh, this came out in uh, 1952, stars Gene Kelly, great Gene Kelly, uh, Donald O'Connor, who you may or may not have heard of, and I had not heard of him until w- watching this, and, uh, and Debbie Reynolds. It is incredible, the scenes. And again, I have no appreciation or understanding of, of dance. But even I was just mesmerized by the scenes. I get it. I totally get it. There's plenty of you that are probably nodding your head and going, yeah, you finally got it. Well, absolutely. I get Singing in the Rain. I get why it is a classic. How, you know, the choreography, you know, done by Gene Kelly, uh, how that all happened must be a fascinating story. I'm sure there's books on it, maybe documentaries on it. But I cannot give higher praise to Singing in the the Rain. And I thought it was going to be a BS, you know, kids type of movie and it's it's not it gets into some really interesting things in terms of the actual story and then like like I said the production and the uh, the song and dance is just uh, just amazing so I can't recommend it highly enough um Moss you really like light this candle yeah let's do it all right listen we're gonna get right into it I come to you a few hours after having left the Hollywood Hills a uh a, a big sh- uh, shindig a big to-do up there at the Griffith Observatory, uh, you may know that it's a iconic type of place where FIFA announced their 2026 brand emblem logo, whatever you want to call it. This is the image that is going to be forever associated with the uh, World Cup in 2026, and so it was kind of you know a kickoff event up in the Hollywood Hills, and. You know, as is the case with all of these, Mossy, when we've seen it time and time again. Uh, for the most part, people are going to have problems uh, with uh, with logos. Uh, this is designed to be in the same way, Mossy, as the MLS logo when it came out a few years ago. The re, the redone logo was designed to be custom, bespoke, they call it. This is the same thing. It's a, a blank, open, bespoke kind of camp, uh, canvas that not only from a national, international perspective, but also the individual 16 host cities get to do what they, uh, what they want. But, you know, the inevitable uh, criticism and critique and debate is out there. Before I get to that, though, it was a star-studded event up there, Mossy. I, I wish you were here. Um, for those that are watching, you can see myself. Uh, I hosted it with uh, Anna Jerka. And, uh, I mean, there was Andreas Cantor, Carly Lloyd, Kristen Press, Tobin Heath, Craig Forrest, goalkeeper for, uh, for Canada, Jorge Campos, goalkeeper for, uh, for Mexico, Johnny Infantino was there, Victor Montaliani, the head of, uh, head of CONCACAF, Don Garber from MLS, Chris Klein, not just in his capacity as the uh, president of the Galaxy, but uh, also the, um, the head of the bid for Los Angeles. So e- anybody and everybody from a soccer perspective was there, including the great Ronaldo, who was on stage. And for those that are watching, you can see he brought the World Cup on stage and then basically announced it. And there were drones. And I mean, it's FIFA. So, you know, a lot of money was spent to book out the entire Griffith Observatory. And it was just an incredible vista, an incredible, uh, incredible night. But ultimately, it was designed to introduce this logo to uh, to the world. And as I said, you know, people are going to have their uh, their thoughts. That's kind of what it is designed to do. But you know many many years from now in the same way that when i look at the 1994 logo and all of that that it brings to me and a whole generation that went through it there's going to be a generation that looks at this logo or i guess these logos and that is what will bring them the memories now here's the uh, 1994 logo uh, if you're uh, if you're watching behind us When this first came on, I guarantee you that there were people that are saying the exact same things that they're saying right now about this logo. Uninspired. My kid could have done it. It's a bunch of clip art. What is it? Why are they doing this? There's nothing. uh, First off, keep in mind, this was done for one country, the United States, uh, as opposed to 2026, where there's three countries, the United States, our friends to the North, Canada, our friends to the South, Mexico. So they have to find a way to have something that is going to apply to all three countries. Um, and not just one uh, specifically. So I, I, it doesn't bother me, the logo, because ultimately the logo is going to be a reflection of what happens in that summer and how impactful the World Cup is. And the actual image, the logo, the emblem, whatever you want to call it, is going to be relative to the action that happens uh, happens on the field. And then you will forever be associated with it, uh, with it going forward. And there'll be guys like us, Mossy, many, many years from now that are looking back on the 2026 logo and say, oh my God, can you remember? This is iconic. This is what I was growing up with. And you remember this game and you remember this adventure that we have. And they will associate it in the way that I and so many associate this logo, this 1994 logo with that, uh, with that incredible summer, even though at the time that it came out, people were like shaking their heads and said, how is this possible? So anyway, it was a, it was a fun night. I wish you were there. Uh, you know, the Brazilian great Ronaldo was wonder, who, by the way, his English is
2: incredible right now. Well, first off, this event taking place at the Griffith Observatory is a tough break for people that like to go there on a Wednesday night to relax. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yet again, I missed the chance to meet my favorite human being. It happened in Russia in 2018 during the World Cup when everybody at Fox went out for a big dinner. I did not partake. And then you guys went to a restaurant and he was there and you ended up meeting him and taking pictures with him. I missed out on that and I missed out on this as well. I think he's ducking you, my yeah. friend. Someday I will get to meet the man who's responsible for like seven of the 10 happiest moments (laughs) in my life. Um, But uh, you were there Mm -hmm. and you were pretty much the star of the show. There were couple of really humorous moments involving yourself
1: uh, it's look it is hard to put on a show like that and you know fifa has their way of doing shows and and to be quite honest with you having done many of these now it, it's very different in the way that they go about putting on a production and it's done for the world and they have their set ways that they go about it and so you just gotta you gotta roll with it but wonderful men and women working behind the scenes and like you said they, i mean <laughs> they shut down and rented out the Griffith Observatory for this, uh, you know, for this incredible, this incredible, uh, incredible moment. And you know, you're, there's a script and there's a teleprompter, but you got to be able to think on your feet. For example, my IFB, which for those that don't know is how I communicate and how they communicate with me. It's in, it's in my ear. <laughs> Went down. Of course, uh, this is the way it's going to go. Went down as I was walking on stage to start. So we kind of had to, uh, to wing that. But it was fun. We had a uh, we had a good time. And, you know, ultimately the announcement, uh, the announcement happened, um, you know, plenty of joking. And, uh, you know, my friend uh, uh, Victor Montaliani Andres and Andreas uh, contour joking about whether it was, you know, what I drink or whether it was what I call the game. I'll tell you, Masi, there was a time uh, during rehearsals where they were adamant about having me call it football. And in the script, it was football, football, football. And I made a point of saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And even when they put it in the script and it showed up in the teleprompter as football, I made a stand, Mossy, And I called it soccer the entire night. So I'm, I'm doing that for you. Can you convince Lexi to go soccer football?
0: Well, I um, probably, um, yeah, well, I'm trying to first convince him to stop drinking Chardonnay and go to red wine. So <laughs> that's my first challenge with Lexi. Um, but uh, I think by 2026, I think we can get him to start uh, talking about football. The,
1: uh, that was the great Andreas Kantor, uh, who, by the way, uh, we, we were reminiscing. I worked with Andreas Kantor uh, when we did the NBC Olympics 20 what three years ago in the summer. In Australia, where we're going back again this uh, summer, so we were reminiscing about doing the uh, the Olympic Games, which was his first English-language uh, gig. And then Victor Mattagliani, the uh, president of CONCACAF there, busted my balls about um, what I drink. He's a huge uh, wine snob, but it's particular when it comes to red, and I will stand, as the kids say, for my Chardonnay and my Chardonnay on ice, and uh, there's nothing you can say to get to me to change. And there is nothing that you can say, whether it's Victor or... Uh, or Andreas, or Johnny Infantino that can change my mind when it comes to soccer. It's called soccer, and I'm going to call it uh, soccer, but we're welcoming everybody in. Anyway, it was a good, it was a good, um, it was a wonderful night, and we had a really good time, and now, you know, let the chips fall where they may, and everybody's having their opinion as to what this logo is. Let us know what you think about this uh, The this logo, and as, as the days wear on here, I think all of the 16 cities are going to put out their version of it, which Kind of dilutes the the impact of that one uh, logo, but you know we'll see how. Maybe that's just an old grumpy guy me uh, me talking about. Um, listen, uh, uh, update because we've been promoting our interview with uh, Amanda Vandevoort relative to the USL super League the brand new uh, women's league that is scheduled to debut next fall unfortunately uh she uh, she had to cancel uh, and uh, we hope that she uh, feels better and we will bring her back on the show uh later on but this is a this is an interesting thing Mossy what is happening here with uh, the USL and keep in mind that the USL is an umbrella for a lot of leagues men's and women's and different uh, different levels so this is the announcement of what they're calling the Super League. And by the way, there's no women mentioned in it. It's just the USL Super League, which is a women's professional league. It's starting out with between eight and 10 teams. It's also going to start out in the fall of 2024. A couple of things to to think about when it comes here. Number one, you know, this is a women's professional league that is coming in, as they have stated, as a division one sanctioned league. And keep in mind that the United States Soccer Federation sanctions these leagues. And that means that it is in direct competition with the other Division I sanctioned women's league, which would be the NWSL. Now, I'm sure if Amanda was here and we'll bring her on at a certain point, she would say, no, this is augmenting and this is just adding more jobs for women to uh, to play professional soccer, which is which is the case. But look, we are in a competitive environment and as a Division I sanctioned league, You know, this is the first time that we will ever have two Division One sanctioned professional leagues uh, going at each other. And keep in mind that they are going into not just MLS markets, but NWS, uh, NWSL markets like D.C. So there is direct competition and then there's indirect competition for, you know, the women's professional soccer market out there. And they will be playing from the fall on so a much more traditional european schedule if you will and how does that play out going forward so there's just a lot of interesting things to think about when we're talking about this professional league and whether it's going to be successful and the competition between like I said NWSL and this super and this super league when they're playing what it's going to look like and If this is something that is going to be competitive and if this is something that is going to be successful down the line. Hey, listen, the more professional leagues and the more professional opportunities, the better. But we are in a market and we are in a competitive market. And don't think for a second that USL uh, coming in as this, uh, you know, as this first division league isn't a shot across the bow of NWSL and let the best league win going forward. Or maybe they'll both win. Mossy, anything on this? Uh, because, you know, we'll, we'll talk to her at some point going forward. But I, it has a lot of tentacles when it comes to this announcement. It's not just about women's soccer. It's not just about USL. But um, there's a lot of things, actually, that we could talk about for, I'm sure, hours.
2: I look forward to the interview. My theory is she canceled because she knew I wasn't going to be there. Today.
1: <laughs> That's it. She wants you in uh, she wants you in person. And we will get Amanda back. All right. Listen, we, we haven't buried the lead, but the big story coming out this week is, um, and certainly was when it happened earlier this week, and we had already, you know, gone to press, as as it were, with our uh, State of the Union, is congratulations and welcome to Flo Balogun. Um, This is, I think, a coup. I think this this is a wonderful uh, bit of news that a young talented goal scorer who is scoring consistently and plays a position of need when it comes to the national team has, like others, once again, chosen the U.S. men's national team uh, to play for when he could have played for multiple others, including uh, England. So, you know, this, this happened. And is it necessarily a surprise? I'm not, I, don't, I don't necessarily think so. And maybe that's, maybe we've come accustomed to seeing players choose the United States to, uh, to play for. So immediately this comes out, Mossy. And uh, I sent out a, a tweet at the moment saying, this is yet another feather in Greg Berhalter's cap. People did not enjoy that. <laughs> As is often the case when I hit send on a, uh, on a tweet. And uh, it was interesting to see the reaction when I had the audacity to give credit to Greg Berhalter, to even associate this with Greg Berhalter. And Masino, you know, there are the uh, whatever, like the in politics, it's, you know, the never Trumpers or whatever. There are the never Gregors out there that it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter how positive he deserves. Absolutely no credit. And basically, they would rather him go away and not be heard of ever, uh, ever again. You know, when I say that this is a feather in Greg Berhalter's cap, It's because of all the work that he has done, in particular in terms of the recruiting process of dual nationals and all the success that he has had. And it's absolutely alongside people like Ernie Stewart and people like Brian McBride. And this has happened on Anthony Hudson's watch as an interim uh, interim coach. Does he get credit for it? Absolutely. But ultimately, this team that has been fostered over the last cycle is what is appealing to these players. And yes, it's the country. But insinuating uh, that Greg Berhalter uh, had something to do with this in terms of all the work that has gone before, that evidently is a uh, a bridge too far for uh, for many folks out there. Masi, uh, thoughts on uh, Balogun deciding to play for the U.S.?
2: Well, um, specifically on Balogun, I'm not sure how much groundwork was laid under Greg Berhalter. It could be that he was Unconvinced by his conversations with Berhalter, which is why he hadn't committed to the US yet. And his head was only turned in the last few months after speaking to people other than Greg Berhalter. I don't know that, but it is a possib- possibility. So um, it, whoever you want to give the credit to, it's absolutely massive. He's a very talented player in a position of need. Center forward in one fell swoop went from being a weak link to the position that now boasts the US player with arguably the highest ceiling. If I was to look into a crystal ball and tell you that over the next three or four years, some U.S. international was going to blossom into one of the elite players in the world at his position, and you had to guess which one, I think a lot of people would guess Balogun.
1: Yeah, I mean, so first off, uh, relative to the, the Berhalter situation, you could also probably make an argument that, you know, again, there is a mercenary element to this in that Balogun looked at his choices, and certainly when it comes to England, they have depth and talent, and, and recognized that, you know, this is something that I want to play for a national team and I want to go to a World Cup. And we've just talked about 2026 and how important it's going to be. And he looked at and read the tea leaves and said, this is my best opportunity. And that's nothing against him. But by the way, this has happened with other with, with other players. And as I said before, if that's your initial way of thinking, great. But at some point, I think you have to want to play for this team. And so that's where it gets into you know, what has been created and the environment that has been created. And look, uh, as I said, Anthony Hudson has taken that environment and continued it on in the absence of uh, Greg Berhalter. Greg Burhalter certainly had plenty of uh, uh, other folks, uh, other folks out there. Now, when when it's when this happened, I also talked about how, um, you know, this is this is a player that has done nothing yet for the U.S. Men's National Team Yet. And it remains to be seen if he ever will. And yes, we should celebrate and be happy. And I'm not raining on anybody's parade when it comes, uh, when it comes to Balogun or anybody else that, that, uh, that decides it. But again, I had the audacity to say, hey, listen, this might not work out. I hope that it does, but it might not work out. He might not be the savior that we all want. And let's be honest. We all want it. We all want somebody to come in and lead this team to the promised land and do the most difficult thing uh, that is that is done in, in the game, which is score goals. And since we have not had a great wealth of talent when it comes to goal scorers, this, it, it's understandable that people are all jacked up about this
2: player. But, you know, we've been fooled before. Yeah, the choice was basically to compete with Harry Kane, Victor Ossiman or Hadri Wright. So I I think the young man chose wisely. But uh, what I find interesting is, for all the talk about U.S.-Mexico recruitment battles, the U.S.'s biggest dual national pickups in recent years have come from Europe, and particularly England, with Musa, Balogun, and Anthony Robinson. I'm not as high on Zendejas as others. I think he's just a nice depth piece. Mm -hmm. So in terms of real move-the-needle starting caliber, significantly elevate the quality of a position guy's. It's been really those three I mentioned, Bolligan, Moose, Anthony Robinson, and obviously Sergino Des, who they beat out the Netherlands for him. So it is interesting. I know the U.S.-Mexico battles get a lot of attention because of the rivalry component of it, bragging rights. But I actually think the biggest pickups have come from elsewhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, but they, but they come. And not only are you are you winning them in this recruiting war that happens, but these, as you said, these aren't depth pieces. These are now starters, which I think is a good way to lead into you know, this, uh, this question of, you know, for example, it, uh, we, I did this uh, earlier in the week, if there was a world cup game that needed to be played today, what would your starting 11 be? And I, you know, I thought about this and I probably have to amend this, uh, this going forward because, you know, keep in mind players like, um, Tim Ream, who is arguably, was arguably our best player at the world cup and has had a, a year of his career. Unfortunately, uh, has been hurt and will be hurt for the foreseeable future here, and I, I didn't put him in my eleven. But you know, when I'm talking about my eleven, I got Turner. I don't think anybody's going to argue about that. You mentioned Dest. I think over there on the right hand side, Zimmerman and Robinson, and that's where I certainly could put Tim Ream in for Walker Zimmerman. There, keep in mind that that Zimmerman Miles Robinson tandem was something that we had hoped to see, and maybe you know, if the game were today. Uh, with Tim Ream's injury, that's who I put in the back. You mentioned uh, Anthony Robinson, who I think is a lock Jedi over there on the left-hand side. This is where I probably messed up, and I probably should have changed. Tyler Adams uh, is is hurt now. He's a lot further along in terms of his recovery, and potentially, you know, there were talks talks about him even be available before the end of this EPL season. Uh, I, I have him in there, and certainly, if he is if he is back, I don't think that anybody's going to uh, scream and yell about that. That trio that we saw in the World Cup with Weston McKinney and Yunus uh, Moussa, Christian Pulisic on the left, Timothy Weah on the right, and then, yes, Balogun up top. Now, has, what has he done to deserve that? From a national team perspective, nothing. And we know it doesn't always translate. But the pedigree and what he has done at a club level, on a consistent level, and the fact that there is a, this dearth of talent when it comes to a goal scorer for the national team, I'm confident and comfortable putting him uh, putting him up there. Any changes that you would make there, and I know we' probably have to put a star next to Tyler Adams. If he's not there, you know, maybe if it's a more attacking type of lineup, Gio Reyna finds his way uh, in there, or then you go back to the, you know, uh, it could be an Aronson or a more defensive way would be an aaccoer, those types of players that uh, some of the usual suspects that we've seen.
2: Yeah, I prefer to frame these sorts of lineups if everyone was healthy and available. So I don't mind Tyler Adams being in there, and I would put Tim Ream in. I think the conversation should be, what's the best U.S. lineup right now if everybody was healthy and available? Um, But yeah, no, I I pretty much agree with uh, most of the lineup you picked. And yeah, the U.S. has a busy summer coming up. They have that Nations League semifinal against Mexico. And then if they win that, the final against Canada or Panama, and then the Gold Cup right after that, they were confronted with the same situation in 2021. The way they approached it then, I know you kind of bristle at this framing, but they sent what everybody considered the quote unquote A team to the Nations League with yeah. all the European-based players. And then they sent what people call the B team to the Gold Cup with more MLS-based squad. So if they repeat that approach this summer, then Boligan would in theory be in the Nations League squad. And his first game for the US would be that semifinal against Mexico, which would be absolutely fascinating.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's see. What else uh, do we want to do here, Uh, uh McKenny? Oh, news uh, about Weston McKenny, right?
2: Well, you know, Bolligan segues into that because he now joins this Yanks abroad transfer discussion that we've been teasing that we're going to have at some point because uh, he's an Arsenal player on loan with Hans in France. And uh, he's made it clear to Arsenal that he thinks he's at a point in his career where he needs to start every week. Arsenal are not willing to. Offer him that with Gabriel Jesus there. And Arsenal were planning to spend a lot of money this summer. So they seem to view Balogun as a player that could bring some money back. So all the talk that he's going to get sold. So we'll be interested to see where Balogun ends up this summer. And yeah, all sorts of other rumors involving U.S. players. Weston McKinney, as you mentioned, is now being linked to Brighton, which would be a really nice landing spot for him and would really throw Premier League pundits for a loop because uh, they've been hammering McKinney based on his performances for Leeds. They're saying he's not any good. And Brighton, who are widely regarded as the smartest team in England, apparently (laughs) want to sign him and spend pretty good money by Brighton standards. So now what are they going to say? You know, Brighton's a team that's probably going to lose Alex McAllister and Moises Caicedo this summer. So there are going to be minutes available in that midfield. Uh, Up top, they just signed a Brazilian player. I love João Pedro, who uh, is coming from Watford. So uh, Brighton is a team I'm going to have my eye on next season anyway because of João Pedro. And then, yeah, they might add Weston McKinney as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that this uh, highlights, first off, the value of Weston and how certainly teams that and, and individuals look at Weston and the type of player he is, and he's you know right in that kind of sweet spot where there's the physical part which he's certainly able to get down and dirty if, if, if need be, but you know I think over the years and certainly his time in Italy, he, he wants to play and he has a confidence and a swagger to be able to play and. I think that people are like they're they're looking at leads and they're picking over the bones in anticipation of what is uh, what is to come and trying to find some of those gems and some of those diamonds in the rough that just didn't show the way that they can just be purely because of the situation and the circumstance of uh, of leads. But it's not to me, it's not a surprise. And but to your point, it's a nice landing because I'm not sure that that. I don't think that the Juventus part of the equation is going to happen. So he's going to have to find something uh, that makes sense. And if he's enjoyed his time, and by all accounts he has in, uh, in England, this is, this is a glow up and this is a step up for him. And I think, it'll, I think it plays into who he is much more as a player than Leeds did.
2: Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Also, rumors with Sergino Dest and Union Berlin. I think that would be an excellent landing spot for him. So, yeah, I I mean, I know we keep teasing it, but at some point we're going to have this uh, big Yanks abroad transfer segment. and There's going to be plenty of meat on that bone for sure. We're
1: never going to do it. We're just going to keep teasing it.
2: (laughs) It's like like Dr. Dre's detox.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we'll take a huge trip around both Europe and uh, MLS because there was all sorts of doings and uh, take a look at what is to come this weekend. Don't go anywhere.
0: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more. Right now, save $30 on the American-made steel FS-56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS-56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, welcome back. Uh, We are in a uh,
1: Champions League week, Mossy. And... Uh, Yesterday, I I mentioned uh, doing this appearance up at the uh, Griffith Observatory. I was in a trailer. They had trailers and everything uh, with Andreas Cantor. And at one point, we were doing rehearsals, and it was happening during the uh, City and Real game. And so, first off, we, we had to find a way to get the game on in our trailer, and then we had to find a way to postpone going out to rehearse as long as we possibly could. Good thing is we're at a FIFA event, and so soccer is king, and everybody came to the rec, you know, the knowledge and recognition that hey, this big game is going on. But before we get to that one, uh, Inter Milan, AC Milan, should we start there?
2: Yep, uh, Champions League semifinals second legs were this week. We'll take them in order: Tuesday at the San Siro, Inter. Uh, finished off AC Milan. They had won the first leg 2-0. They won the second leg 1-0. Lautaro Martinez with a second-half goal set up by Lukaku, a left-footed shot he squeezed past Mike Mignon. Uh, AC Milan had two good chances in the first half with Brahim Diaz and Rafael Leon, but couldn't score, and that was that. So 3-0 aggregate triumph for Inter Milan. They're off to their first Champions League final since 2010 when they won the treble under Jose Mourinho. They are the first Italian club to reach the Champions League final since Juventus in 2017.
1: And look, congratulations to Inter Milan for for what they have done. And this is a bigger conversation we'll have probably later. What has happened with Serie A? I don't think it's completely changed everything, but the perception has undoubtedly been enhanced by the success of not just these two teams, but what Napoli has done and all all that kind of stuff. So that's a a good thing. But when it comes down to Inter and uh, Milan, there was only one team in this uh, in this back and forth, and they proved it again. And the better team is going through, but I'm not sure it's it's even close to uh, what they are going to face when it comes to the final. So let's uh, let,
2: let's uh, thank AC Milan for their efforts and uh, and move on. Yep. Um, and then on Wednesday we witnessed a murder at the Etihad. Manchester City demolished Real Madrid. Uh, their performance was. Out of this world. Uh 4-0 second leg triumph. Bernardo Silva, Bernardo Silva, militao on goal and Julian Alvarez accounting for the scoring. So Manchester City claim a 5-1 aggregate triumph without Erlen Holland scoring a single goal in the tie. They avenge last semi semifinal eliminations to Real Madrid. They're off to their second Champions League final in three years. It will be Inter versus Manchester City, June 10th in Istanbul. Manchester City overwhelming favorites to capture their first Champions League crown. As you mentioned, even with Erling Haaland not
1: scoring, you know, this this may have been the apex. This may have been the best we have ever seen Man City play. And that also might be the worst thing that could, that could happen, especially to have it happen just in the semifinal. And look, they are not playing a Real Madrid in the final, with all due respect uh, to Inter Milan. They will come in, Man City will come into this final as the favorites, as they should. I think they are... Miles better than Inter Milan, but until the whistle blows and they actually play the game, you you don't know. What happened here, Mossy, and, and over the last few years, we've talked about Real Madrid, where they just find a way. And you and they're, you're left at the end of the game going, How is it possible that Real Madrid won? This city team in this moment, they made Real Madrid look mediocre and great. Some you know, superstar elite iconic players on the field for Real Madrid that had no answers. You saw you know, Modric dribbling dribbling out of bounds and an inability even to play out of the back when they tried. I mean, the smothering effect was incredible and awe-inspiring. And if you're Pep, you have to just sit back and clap your team, I guess to a certain extent, clap yourself for what this was. Because this was the culmination. This was... Everything that he talks about in terms of the possession that they had, but also when they lost the ball. And the closest thing that we have seen to a Barcelona-esque type of dominance in a game. And it it was something to behold.
2: Yeah, I think they are headed for a treble. They're most likely going to clinch the Premier League title this weekend. We'll get to that in a minute. Then they'll have the FA Cup final against Manchester United June 3rd at Wembley. And then, as I mentioned, the Champions League final against Inter June 10th in Istanbul. I think they're going to win all three trophies. And the conversation we're going to be having in a few weeks is, where does this Manchester City team rank as far as single-season teams in recent European history? You could take it back to the United treble team in 99. You could take it to Pep's Barcelona team that won the treble in 2009, the MSN Barcelona team that won the treble in 2015. Whatever you deem the best Bayern team from the last 20 years, whatever you deem the best Real Madrid team in the last 20 years, there are five or six teams you could throw into that discussion, but they are in that rarefied air. I think that's where we're headed. If they do win the treble, it enhances Pep's legend even more, and it sets up, as Michael DeCourcy wrote about recently in the Sporting News, this fun Holland versus Messi, club versus country, Ballon d'Or debate.
1: Oh, all right. I mean, I think you said it all, my friend. Uh, I'm looking forward to the uh, to the final, and you know, all money and eyes have to be on City and what Pep is doing, and ultimately what this. Uh, what this team is doing and it's fun it's fun it's fun to watch and yes they are an expensive team but they are a fun team uh going forward uh what should we uh, should we take a, uh, a look ahead as to what is coming this weekend mossy
2: And we segue by staying with Manchester City because on Sunday they host Chelsea in the Premier League and if they win that game, they clinch the title and they might not even need to do anything because Arsenal played the day before away to Nottingham Forest. If Arsenal lose that game, it's over. If Arsenal draw, then City would only need a point the following day. Whatever way it happens, I think Manchester City are going to clinch the Premier League title this weekend. They're fifth in six years.
1: Yeah, I think Arsenal will rebound and make City have to beat Chelsea, and I think they'll beat Chelsea. I mean, let's be honest. What what Chelsea is? I mean, and that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Uh, that'll be fun to see. Um, what about the uh, the other side of the uh, table? There? Yeah,
2: Leeds United. They are away to West Ham. Leeds United, 18th going into this weekend. Uh, Everton, who are above them, are away to Wolves. Leicester, who are right behind them, are away to Newcastle. So all the relegation threatened teams have tough games. We'll see how they fare. So who, yeah, Leeds, who, who do you
1: think ultimately uh, goes down? Obviously, Southampton's already down. So who uh, between Leicester, Leeds, Everton, and let's say Nottingham Forest? Who do you got?
2: I will say what Leeds have going for them is their last game is home to Tottenham. And that Spurs team has packed it in for the season. They, they don't even look like they're trying anymore. So that's actually a highly winnable game for Leeds. Um if I had to guess right now I think the three there at the bottom are going to stay at the bottom and go down but I I do give Leeds a chance to win that Tottenham game and perhaps pull off an escape.
1: Okay. All right so and and Everton continues on. All
2: right. All right, good. And um, incidentally in terms of who's going up, uh we now know the Championship promotion playoff final will be Coventry against Luton Town. That's not this weekend, it's the following weekend at Wembley. Luton's starting goalkeeper is Ethan Horvath, American who's on loan from Nottingham Forest, so We'll keep an eye on that. We'll, we'll preview that one next weekend on the pod. Okay. Uh, Bundesliga, what do we got going over there? The one legitimate tie race we still have left is in Germany. Uh, Bayern one point ahead of Dortmund with two to play. Bayern with a very tough game this weekend. They are home to third place Leipzig, while Dortmund are away to Augsburg. We'll see if super sub Gio Reyna can impact that game. Terzic, by the way, he, he did acknowledge that Gio Reyna is making it very tough on him with these uh, substitute performances uh, to keep him on the bench.
1: Not tough enough to start him, though. I mean, <laughs> if it's that tough, then start him. Um, all right. What about uh, domestic? Because there was there was a, a a slate of games, Mossy. When it came to uh, MLS, it kind of it crept up on me. Uh, I didn't even recognize or realize it until uh, I woke up in the morning and said, "Oh my goodness, there's all sorts of MLS games." We had those on also. Um, And in our uh, in our trailer up there at the uh, the FIFA event and all the different uh, goings on. And we're not going to go through every single one of them, but what stood out to you?
2: Well, uh, because we talked about it in the first segment, we kind of want to keep this U.S. uh, center forward theme going throughout the show. So the two games we picked out uh, FC Dallas with a 2-1 win over Vancouver. Jesus Ferreira with both goals. He's now up to eight on the season. Could it be that the Balogun news has lit a fire under all the other center forward hopefuls in the talent pool? Can
1: you imagine if Balogun comes in and then Jesus starts scoring and becomes the man? I mean, talk about people conflicted. You know, the the anti-MLSers, they're not going to know what to do, but they want the team to win. Uh, And then they're going to say, well, it's only because a player from Europe came in and lit that fire, like you said, Mossy. That's all a bunch of bullshit. I don't care where you're from. I don't care where you play. Just put the ball in the back of the net. And whether it's Balogun or uh, Jesus Ferreira, that's good. And that you are scoring and that you are scoring consistently, that is a a good thing. Um, How about Cincinnati, though? Holy cow, they just crushed Uh, Montreal. 3-0
2: 3-0 win over Montreal. Brandon Vasquez among the scores there, keeping the center forward theme going. Cincinnati now all alone atop the supporter shield standings.
1: I mean, they're just they're they're cruising along, and they are a fun team to watch uh, in what they do. Minnesota United beating Houston only because uh, Reynoso uh, was available. He didn't play, and I don't think we're going to see him for a while. But he is back with the team. He is training with the team. He is available, and that they got a win even without him. You know, is kind of par for the course of what they are what they are doing now. Also, the up and down type of uh, situation when it comes to coaches on the hot seat. So Neville, uh, Nashville won two to one against Miami, so there's another loss uh, for uh, for Neville. And Greg Vanney with the uh, with the Los Angeles Galaxy losing two nothing in Columbus. Um, So the hot seat continues. And LAFC, and we talked about Kansas City. So that Vermees hot seat. He's now put together. A couple of good, good results, including getting a, a, a point at, uh, at LASC last night. So that's a good point against, you know, arguably the best team in the league. And then Seattle losing at home, which is not something you see often to Austin, who we had not completely written off, but said, hey, they are struggling. So that's a big, big notch when it comes to Austin and a needed one.
2: Uh, in terms of this upcoming weekend, a game everybody's excited about, Cincinnati-Columbus, latest installment of the Hell is Real Derby. Oh, Cincinnati, as yeah. I mentioned, topped the Supporters Shield standings. Columbus also playing well. They claimed the 2-0 win over the Galaxy last night, so this should be a good one.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit later uh, in the uh, Ask Alexi about you know, expansion and rivalries and all that kind of stuff uh, going on, but you know the Ohio... Soccer scene and the hell is real type of thing, especially with what we've talked about or how good uh, Cincinnati is and to be honest, uh, how good Columbus is. I'm all for that. I I love doing that. And, you know, Philadelphia, which has now been a perennial type of elite team hosting New England.
2: Yeah, that's
1: that's that's
2: on my radar. Absolutely. Also, yeah, Philadelphia since getting knocked out of CCL three MLS games, two wins, one draw. The draw came last night against D.C. Nil-nil. Uh, but they've played pretty well in transitioning off CCL and focusing exclusively on MLS. They did get knocked out of the Open Cup, so that's disappointing. But yeah, we'll see if Philadelphia can shoot up the standings here in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I agree with you. This is a, a really interesting matchup them facing New England.
1: One more that I just uh, mentioned because, you know, teams struggling at the bottom. Te- you know, uh, St. Louis is hosting uh, KC, and so that Peter Vermes ship that maybe has been righted going in to St. Louis, which we know is difficult, but St. Louis is fallible. And that might be another opportunity for uh, for three points. I know you wanted to mention some uh, Liga MX stuff, right?
2: Yes, we're at the semifinal stage of the Liga, and it is a dream final for the two best rivalries in Mexican football on display. Uh, one of the matchups is tigres Monterrey. The first leg was last night, finished 1-1 at the Estadio Universitario, Meza, and Cordova with the goals. Uh, the second leg will be Saturday at the Estadio BBVA. Uh, and then the other semifinal matchup is Chivas America, which is the great rivalry in Mexican football. The first leg is tonight at the Estadio Akron. And then the second leg is Sunday at the Azteca. So we will keep an eye on that as well.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, anything else, my friend? That's it. All right. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. And I think we got an interesting voicemail. Don't go anywhere.
0: Getting ready to take on spring? OK, welcome
1: back. It's uh, Ask Alexi time, that time of the show where you send in your comments, questions and concerns, and you can send them in on the social media platforms using uh, that hashtag #AskAlexi. And keep in mind that our handle is SOTU with Alexi, or you can call into our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. What do we have
2: this uh, episode, Mossy? Uh, we have a voicemail. Let's take a listen right now.
1: Hi Lexi, hi Mossy, uh, this is Jonah Cullinan from Chicago.
0: I had a question for you guys. I've been listening to the podcast for a long time, every Tuesday, Thursday on Spotify. Love it so much. Um but I was wondering, when do you guys think, uh, MLS is gonna stop with the expansion? Uh, it feels
1: like this new San Diego team coming in, we might have hit a limit on how many, uh, teams we can have in, in the MLS. I was wondering what that magic number is. Uh, is it 32, like the NFL, or is there a different one that MLS can can take on? Let me know. Thanks, guys. All right. Uh, thank you, Jonah from Chicago. Um, look, this is a an evergreen type of question. And my, my feeling on this, I think, has changed. Maybe it's matured, I don't know, over the years as I have gone through this. Keep in mind that... For example, uh, when MLS came online back in 1996, there we were constantly beating the drum of don't make the same mistakes twice. And if you look at the NA- NASL, the expansion that had that that happened, it it ultimately was not beneficial to the league. Uh, you're at as as Jonas said, you're going into the 30s here uh, for a league that started back in 1996, uh, and at times had. Twelve teams, so it has been rapid expansion. Uh, if you're you're listening to this, we are recording this on Thursday morning. By the time that you are listening to this, uh, I think that the San Diego expansion MLS team will have been announced. By the way, for five hundred million dollar expansion fee, which is a dramatic escalation and increase um, in uh, a expansion fee, going from whatever three hundred million to five hundred million, which is pretty amazing. It says a lot about the uh, business. I'm sure that there are MLS owners and Don Garber that are very happy about that valuation when it comes to expansion teams. But while I, from 1996 on, always talked about and guarded against making the same mistakes twice, I find myself looking at, you know, for example, this is San Diego, which would mean that there are now uh, San Diego will have an MLS team L.A. obviously has two, and then uh, San Jose. Now, keep in mind that California is, what, 40 million people? England is, I don't know, 50 million people as an entire country. And we're talking about a state that has one of the largest economies in the world when we're talking about California. And there are plenty of markets and options that could accommodate and sustain many more MLS teams. You're talking, like we said, San Diego gets announced. Uh, Orange County, the Valley, the Inland Empire, Sacramento, Sa- even San Francisco, um, Fresno—it goes on and on and on as potential markets. Now, just because there is a potential market doesn't mean that you have to be in there. Now, that's just in California, and then you go into the Detroits and you know the San Antonio's and and you know back to Tampa maybe that that uh, continues on out there. So. I don't know where this stops, and I don't know if it will stop. And most importantly, I don't know if it should stop. Now, does it get to a point, you mentioned the NFL with 32 teams, does it get to a point where as an entire first division league, is it not workable? And we've talked before about the potential for an intra-MLS type of split where you have MLS 1 and MLS 2. Easy to talk about it, a lot more difficult to actually uh, put it into put it into place, but as more and more of of these options are out there, these markets that can sustain. And when I su- say sustain, first off, you have to have an ownership group, whether it's an individual uh, or a group that has to have deep pockets. And we're talking billionaire types of ownerships. And there's only so many of them out there. But there are these markets out there that you can do something to become very quickly a part of the fabric of those uh, communities. And I just think it says a lot, not just about Major League Soccer, but more importantly, about soccer and the potential and the opportunity that exists out there. So I don't think that it stops. I don't think that it stops at uh, at 32. And especially if people are willing to continue to pay higher and higher expansion fees, Expansion sees going forward, and there are appetizing types of markets out there all over the country. Not the least of which is in California that I just uh, that I just named. I mean, you could you could have an EPL type of existence just in California. That's how big we are, and that's how um, uh, that that I think is the appetite that exists in in all over the uh, the United States, but certainly in California, which um, you know whether it's the history that we have, you know, the Latino and Hispanic uh, population that we have, and just an affinity for uh, for the game.
2: I don't know, Mossy. do you think that uh, MLS goes beyond 32? I do, yeah. And, you know, my issue is always the format. As you know, my objection to the 48-team World Cup was never dilution of quality. It was more that I wondered whether with that many teams you could come up with a coherent format. And so, likewise with MLS, whatever number they settle on, I just hope that they keep in mind that, it's an easily digestible format that the fans can understand and make sense in terms of how they break up the conferences and divisions and how many teams make the playoffs, et cetera. So I just hope that they're always mindful of that. And,
1: and as far as you know, diluting the product, th- you know, this, is a, this is an opportunity to spread the gospel. And you know, far be it from me to deny any market out there that has the means, which is very, very important. And that wants to provide a consistent diet of soccer. And, you know, we, we can harp and criticize MLS for doing this and that. And we've talked about, you know, being relevant, which is such a huge, huge and important part of uh, a component of the league or any sport going forward. But if there are people that want to provide, like I said, that environment of supporting a team and directly or indirectly supporting your community and your market and supporting a sport that we all know and love and giving them nights out at their own cathedral which is their stadium that they find ownership and loyalty to how, how can that be a bad thing that's a that's a good thing to your point masi the structure is important going uh, going forward but what is a soccer market in 2023 is very very different than what is a soccer market 10 years, 20 years, 30 years ago when the league uh, when the league started. And I think it just says a lot about how far soccer has come that there are so many other places that potentially could have teams and I think could be very very successful. And you know, you just need uh, you know, you need like I said, deep-pocketed ownership and the will to say this is something, this is something that, could, uh, that could work. So, yes, Jonah from Chicago, I think it's going to continue on. And I don't necessarily, I, I don't think that that is the kiss of death in the way that it was for the NASL. And who knows, maybe, I, maybe I'm wrong and maybe it does get diluted and maybe it's too much of a good thing. But who am I to tell, insert whatever market it is, that you're not worthy you're not because, I don't know, you're not big enough. You're not popular enough. You're not worthy to be part of this soccer explosion when it comes to professional soccer. And by the way, whether that's with MLS or whether that's USL or whatever, I don't care how people ultimately get their fix of soccer. I just want them to be able to do it. And there's nobody that's too small or unworthy of having, uh, of having that. You got to have the money and you got to have the buy-in. I, I, I get that. But um, there's a lot of people out there that have eyes and there's a reason why people keep paying and not just paying but paying even more to be part of the club that is major league soccer uh anything else mossy that's it all right let's take another quick break and when we come back we will finish the show up with my one for the road
0: getting ready to take on spring make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools From hedge trimmers and mowers, to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real Steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
1: Okay, welcome back. It's the end of our show, and at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. VAR, it's evergreen, Mossy. I was interested to see Howard Webb uh, over the past week make the rounds and uh, go on, uh, what was it? Uh, He was a special guest, I think, on Monday Night Football to explain, not just explain VAR calls, and keep in mind, Howard Webb was once in charge of pro and was heavily involved in the implementation of VAR in Major League Soccer um, and worked for many years and was wonderful uh, over here, and now he's gone back to England, and so now he's in charge over there. And he actually went on and not only explained VAR calls, but for the first time, um, he provided game audio and released it publicly for the first time for EPL. And it got me thinking about <clears throat> VAR and you know the continued tweaking that's going on. And th- look, this is going to happen going forward. We are going to have much more transparency. Uh, we are going to have much more information. In terms of what the communication is between the referee on the field and the VAR, and relative to the people in the stands and obviously us at home watching. And that involves audio, and that involves video, and that involves in real time hearing and seeing what is being discussed. And by the way, while I want it from a fan perspective, if I was a referee at the highest level, I would want this to come as soon as possible. Are there potential problems? Yes, yeah, you know, you're dealing with security issues, possibly. You're also dealing with a, a, a performance that traditionally is not associated with referees. Now, when it comes to our American football, that performance and that announcement and that informational uh, connection is something that is part and parcel of what we see. But from soccer, it hasn't been, although it reminded me of a few years ago during the pandemic... And the MLS's back tournament happening down there in Florida, when everybody just kind of said, let's let's do whatever the hell we want. And MLS uh, had us listening in to what was going on with the VAR. And at the time, that was not only revolutionary, but it was also kind of against the the laws uh, that that's not what uh, FIFA wants to have happen yet. But it is going to happen as we uh, as we get closer. And so VAR is not going anywhere. As a matter of fact, it's only going to become more enhanced. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But the communication, the understanding, it was already on display a couple years ago. And so from an MLS perspective and from an American perspective and Canadian perspective, we've already seen this. It can work. It enhances the viewing experience. it It enhances the entertainment. And purely from a referee perspective, it gives, I think, referees a much more human face it gives us i think not just a peek into what is happening but a better understanding and therefore even if it's a call that we ultimately disagree with i think it humanizes the referees and it gives us like i said more context in which to have that disagreement i'm not saying the disagreement is going to go away but it gives more context going forward and so this is this is the wave of the future as var is the wave of the future that train is not going back Uh, The genie is not going back. Whatever you want to use, it is not happening. And as a matter of fact, it's not only going forward, but it's going to be enhanced when it comes to the audio. And I think the real live audio that we are going to see and hear when it comes to uh, the games and these calls that now are so important and understanding why these calls are made are so important going forward. And that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing for the game. Bossy, anything before we
2: go? Well, as a Brazilian countryman of mine uh, reminded us on Twitter, you wish VAR existed back in 1994 (laughs) at that World Cup. I was cheated. I was cheated out of a goal. I mean, while Maradona's goal
1: would not have counted back in 86, my goal in 1994 against Colombia at the Rose Bowl would absolutely have counted. First off, I was onside, all right? So the flag would not have come up because now we know the ARs are are told not to put the flag up, and the whistle would not have blown. But this actually went in right before the whistle blew. So in modern day, we would have looked at this. They would have said, he is onside. the, The shot was taken, and the ball crossed the line before the whistle blew, and therefore, this is a good goal. So I was robbed of a goal in the World Cup. And by the way, I smashed this one. Whoa, upper 90. Love it. Love it, love it. Yeah, love this it.
2: was uh our good friend João Renato Alves with the tweet. I'll do a little translating here. He said se 1994 a Copa do Mundo poderia se ter um gol de If VAR existed in nineteen ninety four, the World Cup could be proud of having a goal by Alexi Lalas in its history. So it's all right. That tournament that
1: tournament turned out okay for me. I'm I'm good. I mean I was sitting up there at Griffith Observatory uh last night drinking uh some fine wine and hanging out with uh Ronaldo and Johnny Infantino and uh, all the uh, incredible uh, players and legends and stuff like that. And the only reason that I was there was because of the 1994 World Cup. It changed. As I say before, it changed my life forever. I lived that power. And so I'm okay with uh, with this. But 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 it, it was a goal.
2: Anyway, you slice it. Masi, anything before we go? One last, last thing. I do want to wish our director, Aaron Schechter, a good flight. She is headed to New York today. It's almost like she planned to arrive there the day that I'm leaving. Yes. Uh, In her absence, a fellow USC grad, Gabe, will be stepping in. Now, Alexi, if Gabe performs well and takes Aaron's job, what is the baseball reference we would make to describe that situation? Uh, Wally... Wally Pipp. Is that what it is? Wally. Wally. Correct. Wally Pipp.
1: Yes. He uh, she could get Wally Pipped. So enjoy yep. that uh, trip back back home. But you, you might come back and uh, we might have moved on. But I don't know. I don't think anybody can live up to her. She's, she, is, uh, she is that good. All right, listen. Uh, we will see you and hear, uh, you will hear us and see us next week uh, with more shows. We appreciate everybody tuning in and reviewing and rating and subscribing and doing all the di- uh, different things that, uh, that you do. And whether you're sending in uh, questions using that hashtag Ask Alexi on all the social media platforms or like Jonah from Chicago did. By the way, he said he listens on Spotify. We love that you listen on Spotify. Watch us on YouTube. Uh, Apple, all the different uh, platforms out there, but Jonah decided to call in on our po- uh, on our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is All two two nine seven. All right, we will uh, talk again next week, and until then, and as always, my friends,
2: size the day.